What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The old world is dying. The new world struggles to be born. Now is the time of monsters. Uh, with those words from Gramsci, I welcome you to the Time of Monsters podcast, now hosted by The Nation magazine. I am uh, very grateful to Mika Whitman for the little musical intro that we just heard. Today, I want to talk about the tragedy in Uvalde, Texas, the uh, uh, shooting. Um, I, I believe that the, uh, like, as with many of these mass deaths, the body count continues to kind of grow. There's initially 21 dead, including like 19 uh, young children. Uh, and this is like an all too familiar tragedy in um, uh, modern America it has created the all too familiar debate about gun control and then all these sort of deflections and lies that are used to you know avoid the issue of guns and to talk about something else. Um, and, and maybe to frame this a little bit l- larger, I mean, I think anytime there's this sort of tragedy and this sort of breaking news, there's a lot of kind of like myth-making uh, that grows on either uh, naively or opportunistically. And I think that's kind of worth talking about. And I'm so, um, I'm very grateful to have Parker Malloy of uh, the Present Age newsletter, very sharp observer of the media and the news, to talk about some of uh, this. And um, Parker had a very good post, that, which I think is maybe a good way to entry into this topic, about uh, how certain elements of the far right um, are in, have spread the idea that the shooter was um, a, a trans. And I wanted to, yeah, get um, some uh, account of where did the, this idea come from? Who's spreading it? Uh, what does this kind of say? Sure. Hey, uh, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, good to be on your podcast and congrats on, on moving all your, moving your stuff over to the nation again, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, it's great to be at the nation now. Yeah. As, as, as a subscriber to your Substack. <laughs> when it went, when it was there, <laughs> I say that. Uh, yeah. So, so the other day, I, I I wrote this I wrote this piece about uh, this this rumor that sort of started um, immediately after the shooting that was this argument that oh the the shooter was trans the shooter at that at uh, at that elementary school was was trans and and oh doesn't that show something and I mean well. F- 
first off, you know, to start with the basics, there's, there's no reason to believe that the shooter was trans. I mean, the, the photos, cause there were, there were photos of a trans woman in like standing in front of like a trans flag, taking just, just pictures that apparently she posts online just to try to improve her self-esteem. Like, I understand that, but someone found those posted those and said, this is the shooter, which, uh, is, you know, she did an interview with NBC where she said something like, I've been harassed a lot in my life, but this is the first time I've been accused of murder. <laughs> and at least she sort of has a sense of humor about it. But yeah, so so this idea spread that the shooter was trans and it's like, oh, you still want to talk about guns and not mental health? You know, and the, and the, the connotation there was that trans people are mentally ill and, and trans people are the cause of bad things in the world. And we shouldn't be talking about guns. We should instead be talking about evil trans people, which is, you know, it's, it's a, it's a little deflection and it's one of those things that wasn't quite, um, you know, I'm sure there were some people who were spreading that misinformation uh, willingly and some people who didn't know better and some people who just don't care. I mean, you had Alex Jones, you know, InfoWars and Alex Jones obviously were, were on top of that because of course, if there is a goofy conspiracy theory, of course, Alex Jones is going to be involved. You know, Paul Gosar tweeted it from his, his account. He, he went, he went even a step further saying that the, the shooter was an undocumented immigrant or whatever word he uses and, and, and a transsexual, it's like, well, no on both of those. <laughs> and then you had, you, you know, people like Candace Owens sharing these same sorts of accusations. She's tweeted like seven or eight times at this point being like, this is the problem. We have to call out gender ideology, blah, blah, blah. And the whole thing obviously is just, it's a big distraction from the actual shooting because they've managed to turn it into a discussion about trans people when you know, trans people don't have anything to do with it. So, and it's not the first time this has happened either, which was kind of the point of my post. So my post on, uh, on yeah, the I present age. It, it actually reminded me, I think something I, I hadn't even, uh, I'd either um, didn't know about or had totally yeah. any memory of. Uh, which is, yeah, so describe the earlier incident. Yeah, yeah. So, so remember back in November, 2015, there was a man who uh, went into a Colorado Springs Planned Parenthood and his name's Robert Louis Deere Jr. And he he shot and killed three people and shot and injured nine others. And afterwards, he, he told the police when they were talking to him, he said, no more baby parts. And th- those of us transport yourself back to 2015 and uh, right-wing media, baby parts was a, was a big discussion point. That was something that came up during the, the Republican primary debates. It was something that was aired nonstop on Fox News because of these Center for Medical Progress videos that were kind of deceptively edited in a way that made made it look like Planned Parenthood was committing crimes and illegally selling uh, fetal tissue and and stuff like that. So their whole thing was Planned Parenthood sells baby parts. That was kind of their slogan that they went, uh, went with. And so this guy shoots up a Planned Parenthood and says, no more baby parts. Seems pretty cut and dry when it comes to motive. However, Ted Cruz was asked about this, and he said the media promptly wants to blame him on the pro-life movement when at this point there's very little evidence to indicate this. Again, that's that's after the guy said no more baby parts. Uh, but then Cruz went on and said that it's also been reported 
that Deer was was registered as an independent and a woman and a transgendered leftist activist. So where do you actually get register as a, a, a transgender <laughs> leftist activist? You know, it's so so yeah. So so what happened there was uh, Jim Hoft at the Gateway Pundit basically found found that Deer's voter registration because that's one of the things they like to do find out if he's a registered Democrat, you know. And so they pulled up, found his voter registration because Colorado makes that publicly available. And I guess that there was a clerical error at one point and it, it listed him as female <laughs> and that stuff happens. These, these errors happen. He was not trans. It was not any, anything like that, but it gave them kind of an opportunity to go in that direction and to veer it off that way. And so he did. And he, Ted Cruz, I'm sure didn't th- actually think that this, this bearded dude with with wild eyes talking about you know baby parts was was actually a leftist transgender activist or whatever he said, but he did and it, and it provided for a nice little diversion. We weren't talking about the guy yelling about baby parts. We weren't talking about the shooting itself anymore. We were talking about Ted Cruz spreading a completely nonsense conspiracy theory, and that I think is part of the point here. It's to get people talking about literally anything else. And that's why, you know, we, we hear things, oh, this is a mental health problem. This is a mental health issue. We have to do more about that. Or maybe we need to get rid of doors, you know, like these, these sorts of ideas that they're not serious ideas because Republicans don't actually care about doing anything about mental health. It's, it's, you know, one of my former media matters uh, colleagues, Andrew Lawrence, I think he, he tweeted something to the effect of, all of these things, they're just trying to run out the clock. They're just trying to run out the clock until we lose our interest in this story, because sadly, that's just something that happens. And then we move on to something else. And, you know, yeah, no, I think, I, that's I, I, think yeah. I mean, it has been an effective strategy. And I think some of the older listeners uh, who are as old as I am might remember the Columbine like massacre. There was like all this talk at that time you know, about like video games and trench coats are like trench coats, the cause of this. And, you know, and then some like legitimate stuff like bullying, although that actually turned out not to be the case as, as the, you know, Columbine thing was investigated, it turned out that the killers were themselves the kind of like bullies in this. Yeah, I think the, you, your framing is exactly right that we have to understand this as a kind of diversion, deflection, and uh, just uh, running out the clock, get people to talk about anything else. Um, and it's very cynical. Although, I mean, I will also say, like, you know, in the case, I don't think it's an accident that, you know, like they would, in these two cases, they pick on sort of like trans people. As I mean, like, it is a clearly also like this horrible bigotry and, you know, taking people who are already like yeah. um, marginalized and, you know, scapegoating them. Uh, so, so, I mean, there's all that in play. Uh, and it's, it's very um, uh, ugly. I, I think, like, in terms of like the sort of, you know, so there's a kind of like a, a misinformation, you know, cloud that comes out of any of these kind of tragedies. And I think it's important to like, you know, like also understand like, you know, like it's it's broader than, these are obviously very bad faith actors, but you know, like there's, there's stuff that comes out and, out and I think as media consumers, you know, there's something that one has to learn, learn like to be initially skeptical. And I'll confess myself, like I was kind of a bit too credulous about the police 
initially like they had been a report that the shooter was like wearing body armor and um, that was coming from the cops initially and I had retweeted that out as like part of the story and then like afterwards you know like many of the things that the cops said it turned out not to be true um, and, and like again to be sort of um, non-partisanly uh, about this like you know there's a kind of myth-making on on all uh, other sides of this issue as well, there's a kind of very popular tweet that was going out, you know, telling this the story of how um, Governor um, Abbott um, uh, went after this uh, fam uh, family of a uh, someone who had been uh, um, either injured or killed, and was like, you know, like threatening them, and you know, like I saw that tweet, and I didn't think it didn't pass the smell test, and then it all later turned out that this person has a history of like, there were other cases where they had uh, 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 a nephew who had been like uh, involved in a public tragedy, claimed to have a nephew. And so, so and a lot of very prominent accounts uh, yeah. on Twitter, like we're retweeting this. And I thought that's not a good thing. I mean, even though like Abbott is a terrible man, you know, like, you know, you, you have to have like some skepticism about these news stories. Well, and part of the reason for, you know, why these things spread, and I think part of the reason why they, you know, why conservatives will, will pick, you know, again, just to, why there are some people who will go, yeah, I'm going to say that a trans person did this because, I mean, first off, even if it was a trans person, we still don't know what the motive is. I mean, there are trans people who commit crimes, just like there are literally everyone who commits crimes. I mean, so even if the shooter was trans, that doesn't mean anything necessarily. But to to kind of tie that back in, I think one of the reasons that that these these outgroups essentially are are picked for you know to be scapegoats is because it really sets up you know it sets us up to let confirmation bias kind of steer the direction. Mm -hmm. You know if if that guy because his first tweet I think was something like. Um, about how he didn't want to talk to the media and the media followed him home or some, something like that, which just kind of seemed kind of like, eh, this seems kind of odd. I don't know what he's saying. But then when he got to the part where he's talking about, oh, and then Abbott's people showed up on my door and all of that stuff, I, you know, by invoking Abbott there, someone that people at this very moment are very angry with for very legitimate reasons, uh, by kind of invoking him in this, I think that that kind of set off the confirmation bias switch in a lot of people's heads where they're like, yeah, Abbott's awful. This must be true. And then retweet it. Yeah. And the same same thing happens when they, you know, when when they'll blame things on undocumented immigrants or trans people or you know, Black Lives Matter. Like these these things always kind of pop up where you you find something that your audience wants to agree with. Mm -hmm. Then you say it and then it gets shared. And so soon it becomes, you know, a, a real story. I mean, the, the thing about the, the trans woman, she's, she's been posting pictures of her holding like, you know, they're like proof of life pictures with like newspapers and stuff or like the today's date written on them uh, to be like, no, I'm alive. The shooter is dead. I am here. Uh, and yeah. it's, and there are still people who go, well, it could be, it could be. And I think that that's, you're going to have people who go, well, that story could be true about Abbott and sure it could be, but until 
way more evidence comes forward to, to suggest that it, it is, I think you, you need to have some skepticism. And social media brings that out in us where we, we want to be the first one to retweet something. So want to be early. We want to be ahead of the curve. And, you know, that's kind of one of the, one of the great things about social media. One of the terrible things about social media is that it really kind of plays on all of our worst impulses. Like if, if you wrote, if you wrote an article about, about this, you would sit down, you would write it, you would read it, you would have it edited, you would think about it a little bit, and then it would go out. And so even if you jump the gun a little bit, it's gone through several stages of at least giving it thought with Twitter. I mean, you see something and you just smash the retweet button and it's out there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. And I, I think people, yeah, I mean, this is just a word to the wise. I think people are a little bit, a little bit too credulous about uh, what they're retweeting. Um, and in terms of like sorting out what's happening, I mean, for me, like the biggest issue here is, um, uh, and the biggest source of misinformation has really been like the police. And, you know, there's been like sort of um, <coughs> conflicting stories, um, uh, 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 sort of um, changing stories. Um, I, I think Vice and other places have like documented some of the ways in which the stories have, have shifted. And also in general, I mean, like the, the whole behavior of the police, uh, some of the stuff that we're hearing, like it seems like very um, uh, uh, bizarre or uh, unexpected. Uh, I mean, I'll just like flag uh, maybe two things. One is um, uh, a statement that was released yesterday saying that the, the police say that they believe that all the children that were killed were done so by the uh, shooter uh which like you know it's not very reassuring just yeah. it was worded you know like uh um, like, i didn't doubt that up until that moment and then once i saw that i was like yeah i don't know now i yeah. now i'm thinking that or the way they worded it i'm like okay you said none of the children were shot by the cops yeah <laughs> like, yeah oh yeah that's right that's right yeah the, everything about that like was just like raises kind of red flags like like what is going on here um and then all the news stories the other thing to flag is you know like the uh that are coming out from the wall street journal and other places of you know like parents who uh had been handcuffed and were trying to get into the school and were prevented by the cops um so the whole thing uh and i think what we're seeing i mean i think uh, which is good is actually a lot of the media has become very skeptical of the police. And if you look at the coverage of the uh, the major newspapers, New York Times, Washington Post, um, LA Times, uh, and CNN, you're getting a lot of people that are being very critical of the cops. So um, yeah, I mean, just like well, what, any general thoughts on this, like what do we what yeah. do we make of all this? Well, I think one in in these in these sorts of situations where there's there's a, a big tragedy that that makes us feel a lot of things. I mean, when I heard heard the news, you know, mass shooting, it's easy to kind of feel numb about that. But then mass shooting that killed 19 children, you know, I mean, that, that suddenly it, it sets off a different kind of emotional response where you're just, you, there's this sadness and, and, and despair. And, and when, and you want answers to that and you want them now, you don't want them tomorrow or two days from now or three days. You want to know what happened, why it happened right at that moment. And a lot of these things are, you know, they're complicated at, as we record this, I, I still haven't read anything about what this shooter's motive was or, you know, what, what was behind it other than he was, 
bullied and I, I don't even know, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of out there, but we want to know the answer when no one actually might know the answer at this moment. And we might not know it for a little while, but one thing I try to always go back to, and I'm, I'm guilty of, you know, jumping the gun a little bit too, uh, is to kind of follow on the media has this really great, um, has this really great breaking news consumers handbook handbook that has like, it's like nine steps of how to avoid spreading wrong info. And really a lot of it comes down to just kind of take a breath, careful what you share and give it time because in the immediate aftermath, things are going to go wrong. You know, be careful with stories that say we are getting reports, you know, we have learned, you know, these, these sorts of things. And what's challenging is that police are in this case, they're supposed to be the people we can trust. That is kind of their whole setup. They're supposed to be, you know, providing a service to the public to, to protect and to, to make sure that these things. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply don't happen and if they do happen to understand why and I think too often that there's this police have this there's this fear that that they'll be they'll be judged negatively uh if if they're honest and I I think that that's that's part of the problem that they don't see being honest as as a huge obligation on their part Mm -hmm. uh even if it makes them look bad and this, this has happened constantly. I mean, after George Floyd died, they said that he had a, what was it? They phrased it something like a, a oh, he di- he had a medical event on site and, and died. It's, it's like, yeah, is, is that what happened? He just, he just had a medical event out of nowhere. And yeah, you know, it's like they, it's frustrating seeing things framed as public relations for the police when really we just need to know the truth, whether it makes police look good or bad. And I'm, you know, I'm of the mindset that, you know, police aren't inherently bad. I mean, they're, they're, 
not inherently good either, but they're, they're just doing their jobs. They should, when people go, well, this is because we're disrespecting the police and we're criticizing them. And so they're not doing their jobs as well. Well, I mean, that's tough. That is their job. Their job is to do this. Even if, even if we go, you know, go up to a cop, say you suck, they need to still do their jobs the next day. I mean, that's kind of the, the whole thing. That's why they're supposed to have this, this, you know, valor and you know, sense of importance because they play this role in society, just like politicians. I should be, you know, you should be able to tell the president of the United States to screw off and still expect him to enact policies that benefit the whole country. I mean, well, yeah, that, I, mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, even beyond that, like police are given extraordinary powers, you know, like they're allowed to carry yeah. weapons. They're allowed to like, you know, they're given very wide discretion in terms of the use of force, uh, uh, you know, including lethal force. Uh, and like, there's no, uh, I mean, what, what one would think that the more power you're given, the more responsibility you have and the more you, you know, like um, should be checked. Um, I, I, I'll just mention, like, I think that in terms of the media, the like angle or the, the, um, the, what often happens is that there's a kind of complicity between police and local media, especially. Um, and, 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 you know, like local media, this is not just like a small town thing, like local media, like, you know, the New York, uh, in, um, New York City would be the New York Times, right? But, but, but basically, you, the cops, um, one way that journalism is done uh, is through access. And the, the people who are crime reporters develop relationships with the police uh, and with prosecutors. And, uh, you know, like often, um, uh, like as an almost unconscious thing, like take on the role of being kind of like spokesman for these institutions or of like echoing what they say. Cause these are, these are your sources. You, you, you've come to trust them. You come to know them. You have actual personal relationships with them. Um, and so oftentimes a lot of like, you know, sort of crime reporting or police reporting that's coming through is, um, uh, you know, filtered through this relationship between the police and the media. And one sees this like in all the sort of shooting cases where like, you know, like immediately very, it's very frequent that um, uh, something uh, bad information about the person being shot starts to come out on the media, you know, like their, their arrest record or uh, 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 whatever. And that doesn't happen by accident. It happens no. by the fact that there's this existing relationship. Um, what's interesting, you know, what's happening now in Texas is because it's such a huge story that you're getting like outside media that doesn't have these relationships. And that um, because you also have the parents that are um, uh, uh, the survivors, you know, are starting to speak out criticizing the police, that actually gives this outside media a kind of um, legitimacy to start questioning the police. And they are being questioned in a way that's like actually very rare but actually should be the norm like you know like what, what we're actually seeing now is what should be the norm like you know like when a horrific event happens that you know like one starts to ask questions how did it happen and one tries to line up what the police are saying with what the facts are and you know i, I just think like broadly too often it's the case that a lot of crime reporting is just like press releases for the cops and yeah. you know like if one wants to say something good like it's actually good that that's doesn't seem to be happening now yeah, well, and also one one thing that I, I think think a lot about when it comes to how things get re reported in the press, uh, when it comes to you know people who 
write about crime and local papers and stuff like that. I mean, you get, there, there are ways of, of that they'll include things that may very well be false, but, you know, kind of give them a sense of legitimacy that maybe you or I will, will notice like, um, you know, something said police spokesperson, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's this idea that, you know, that they'll put something in there and they'll put like a little caveat that, that is technically true. Yes. This is what the police told us. Um, and I think a lot of journalists will go, okay, yeah, but because you said that we still don't know what actually happened because you're just telling us what they told you. Um, but I think a lot of casual news consumers, you know, the public who doesn't, you know, live and breathe media, uh, probably sees that and goes, yeah, I guess that's what happened, whatever it said. And I'm sure that 95, 99% of stories that reporters write that they get statements from the police are totally fine and they're, and and they're totally accurate and everything like that. So what, what we see are the ones that where it's something extraordinary and it's possibly false and I think a lot of it does come come down to having to reevaluate those those relationships with local law enforcement, you know, whether that's you know local reporters or national reporters. And I know that this is this is a really tough time for journalists generally. I mean, with the way that the industry is just kind of crumbling, you you have suddenly have to do two or three times as much work for the same amount of pay, and you're just trying to file your stories and stuff like that, but man, the, the press is so important to the public's understanding of what's happening in the world that there needs to be, we need to be able to trust what we see in the newspaper from, from day to day. And that means really scrutinizing the things that we're told, um, you know, whether that's, oh, the police said this happened, like, make sure you get the timeline correct before you run a story. Make sure that you understand what the time was timeline was between like when a call was received and when they showed up and what they did once they showed up, how many officers were there, how many went in, how many stayed outside. Because I, I do understand there being situations where you could be like, yeah, no, we do want to have some officers outside to keep parents from running in there to get kids while other officers are going in there. Like that's one of those situations where I, I can understand why something would look bad, but we need to have the full story right up front. And it can clear a lot of that up for us. But instead we see these, these videos of, of parents being held to the ground while they're yelling, go do something. These things aren't helpful for anyone. It makes the press look bad. It makes the police look bad. It makes the public question the, the function of both the press and police. Um, it, I mean, it's good to question things, but at the, at the same time, there's a complete lack of trust. And I think a lot of it has to do with just kind of being a little lazy when it comes to checking the facts or getting your story straight before going to press. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I think that's, uh, that's absolutely right. And this sort of ties in, you know, with uh, the stuff that we had started off with, with the sort of like, you know, conspiracy theories uh, and uh, Alex Jones, you know, like these kind of, totally sleazy figures that are obviously uh, manufacturing stuff. But I mean, I, I think one worry I'm starting to have coming out of all this is that there um, is going to be like, a, you know, like this, this was going to become fodder for all sorts of conspiracy theories. 
uh, just because, uh, you know, uh, the police had changed their stories. Um, some of the early press reporting had been too credulous about what the police were saying. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's a real kind of, I, I mean, I think that that, that sort of uh, confused atmosphere like will um, is perfect for a figure like Alex Jones. Like they will like- yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and just to kind of add on that, I mean, this is, I think one thing that the press specifically needs to, to grapple with is the fact that we, we live in a time where, um, you know, we, we, we live in a time where there are people who make entire li- make livings off of conspiracy theories like Alex Jones, yeah. you know, uh, and, and that it's easier than ever where they have to think about how they, the press needs to think about how to report information they get, true or false, whatever it is, whatever it says, in a way that is responsible. And part of that means not creating the types of pieces that uh, add fuel to conspiracy fires. And that that's something that, you know, the way that... Uh, during the 2016 campaign, the way that the John Podesta emails were covered like that was a big story which his the, the Podesta emails I can't think of a, a single story from those that was actually necessarily newsworthy but they were talked up a lot in the press and it was through that that you ended up having uh you know people were digging for anything in there and suddenly they're like hey he talked about ordering pizzas one time <laughs> and suddenly you have people convinced that there's a a pizza shop running a child sex trafficking ring in its basement that doesn't exist. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, that was one of those situations where it wasn't the press that put that, that information out there, but it kind of speaks to the, the danger of just document dumping and throwing things out without context. And I think that a lot of people in the, in the, in the press do that. They, they do, they do throw things out there, especially in the wake of, you know, these sorts of tragedies just to get things out there to, to people because people want these answers. They want to know what's going on. Uh, but at the same time, you don't want to accidentally be the reason that Pizzagate part two, or I guess three, because Q kind of became part two, you know, Pizzagate part three gets started, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, uh, just maybe sort of conclude or uh, coming out. I, I mean, I do feel like Already, we're starting to see some of these conspiracy theories popping up there, and I think that there's going to be, um, you know, a lot of distrust. Just you know, based on the initial things that have been opening up, I think like you know, one sort of political solution, and it's not perfect, but w- would be to push for some sort of independent investigation. Like I just yeah. think, uh, uh, and I know some certain politicians like Julian Castro down in Texas are, are kind of like doing that. But I mean, it, it does seem like, um, you know, just based on the, you know, the first few days of events, like there's been enough sort of distrust that's been sown that you kind of have to like, you know, I, I, I think an independent investigation is justified on its merit, uh, but that I think, I think it's also um, uh, really important, uh, you know, for, um, uh, you know, addressing this real political problem that's going to come out of this. Because I think a lot of people are going to like, you know, come out of this like really distrustful of all of these yeah. institutions. Yeah. Right. And and there's there are going to be a lot of, you know, solutions that are floated that, that don't, don't do anything. 
they're, they're going to be, hey, what if we we double or triple or quadruple the police budget in whatever town? You know, these sorts of things pop up every single time. You know, it's sort of that that old joke where, you know, the Republican solution to everything is uh, tax cuts, you know, where it's like, oh, COVID better cut taxes, you know, these, these sorts of things that, that are, are unrelated or just tangentially well, related. And I, mean, I think no, that, but I actually like Sean Hannity said, like, we can uh, arm the teachers and give them tax cuts for uh, <laughs> like, doing extra school security. Yeah. So, so like, yeah well, and, and you, and, and you had, you know, you had Glenn Beck, who was like, this has to do with wokeness and critical race theory. And, he actually said, and bathrooms where anyone can use them. And it's like, how, what, what are you even talking about? You know, the, yeah. ah, it's, it's so frustrating because it, 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 a lot of people listen to Glenn Beck and Sean Hannity and, you know, and anyone else. And that's, that's one of the, the challenges of our extremely, um, you know, our, our, there, there are so many options for people to consume media that you, if I wanted to, I could find, a news source, I'm sure that caters exclusively to my own personal worldview where, you know, every day things I like happen, things I don't like don't happen. And that's my worldview. And I could live in that little bubble for a little bit, I'm sure. And I think a lot of people do live in those little bubbles, which uh, isn't isn't necessarily a, a, a great thing, obviously, yeah, uh, because it does kind of create these alternate realities that, that people see, how people see the world differently. Um, so I think it's important to, to push back on, on utterly ridiculous yeah. you know, suggestions. Oh, give more money to police. You know, Newt Gingrich said, pay people $500, get, pay people $500 a month to be trained as teachers to operate guns. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's worth saying, this is just a stupid idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're overall, I mean, Matt Iglesias had a tweet that, uh, irritated me the other day that was about, um, oh, well, America's a, a good place and, and all of that. And someone else pointed out, well, it's really only, if you think about it, it's only like 70 deaths a year from, from <laughs> gun violence in schools. And, you know, like all of these things where people are kind of like rationalizing. And I understand like what they're saying is, is true, but it's, it's just completely um, inappropriate <laughs> to, yeah, to, yeah, to mention yeah. um, like that. But at the I'm same time, if you put guns, if you, if you add more guns to schools, I am willing to bet that that increases rather than decreases the number of people who will die from gunshots in schools. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, that's, I mean, like, you know, because obviously you have a lot of security already in schools and um, there's been like starting to be like very good studies that actually show uh, that like the, you know, the more armed guards you have, uh, not only does it not do anything, but it tends to lead towards more violence. Yeah. And it makes sense if you understand the school shooter is someone, you know, like a troubled teenager who is suicidal and wants to die. So like the, the prospect of having like uh, uh, the armed person there at school, like increases the likelihood, of, uh, makes it more of a more attractive site, not a less attractive site. Yeah, and exactly. So, so that's just, Anyways, <laughs> that, that's another point that, you know, and, and that's that that's also a, a somewhat frustrating aspect of all of this, because you'll you'll have these suggestions. Well, what if we, we set this up where, yeah, you know, we, we get more police there so that after the shooting there, they take them down fast. It's, I mean, that's great, but the shooting still happens. Yeah. You, we, you've got to we've got to find a way to to have these discussions where we, we actually kind of lay out what 
what needs to happen when people talk about, they go, oh, well, mental health or, oh, he sent a message online that maybe people should have known. Okay, well, had people known, what would you suggest happen at what point? Because at the same time, people will go, well, yeah, but I mean, law-abiding gun owners, I mean, everyone's a law-abiding gun owner until they're not. And that that's kind of the, the challenge here. You know, you, there have to be some honest conversations had among our politicians, especially uh, that, that aren't just weird rhetoric that, that are designed to essentially run out the clock. And I mean, you know, the Senate took off for their Memorial Day weekend. And uh, so they've, they've run out their clock. You know, you, you sort of saw them running, running out of ideas. You had Bill Cassidy saying when someone asked him why anyone needs an AR-15, he said, um, what about feral hogs? which I was like, I thought that was a Twitter meme. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it just, it was clear that he was just kind of like, I'm out of ideas. I don't know, but here's something that I'll say. You have something you can report and I'm going to go home. You know, that, that was kind of the, the gist of it. And it's, it's frustrating. It's hard not to be just really cynical about the state of the world, but yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to be, but it's 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 difficult. <laughs> yeah, I know, no, especially yeah, I know after this this uh, this particular event, and and then you know the the same old reaction. Uh, but uh, you know, as I said, I, I think it's really important to have at least a you know sort of sound factual basis and understanding of this. And um, for listeners, if if you want to get like you know like a, um, a really grounded you know well reported news, I would. Uh, recommend Parker's uh, newsletter, uh, The Present Age, uh, to, uh, uh, a lot of sharp uh, observations in there. And uh, I'm very grateful to Parker for coming in and having this, uh, you know, a little bit dispiriting, uh, but it's still, I think, very necessary talk. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for having me.